0: Good to have you along here, 3 and Out, on this Tuesday. Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett, so much to get to on the show. Of course, Matt Ryan uh, headed to Indianapolis. Uh, saw the picture of him getting on the jet uh, today, headed to Indianapolis. Uh, also, Dave Archer, Falcons Radio Network, former Falcons quarterback, will join us. What does that mean, Matt Ryan leaving the Falcons, and what do they even expect with Marcus Mariota at uh, at the helm? So we'll talk to uh Dave Archer about that. Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles, will join us as Georgia Southern begins spring practice. Uh, we'll get some what to look for. A lot of new faces, a lot of new things happening there in Statesboro. Danny Reed will join us coming up here in our number one. Also, Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, will join us a couple of weeks out from the Masters. And uh, Justin Toscano, uh, AJC.com, new beat writer for the Atlanta Braves uh, there with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He will join us. Uh, Coming up, Braves down at spring training uh, today, beating the Twins at last check, so playing uh, fairly well. Uh, And Chris Gordy, locked on SEC podcast with spring training opening or spring training, spring practices opening uh, all across uh, the SEC. We'll talk some SEC football with him. But fellas, Matt Ryan to Indianapolis, currently eighth in the NFL uh, history with 59,735 yards to his first regular season game. If he has a good game, probably going to go over the 60,000-yard uh, mark, ninth-in-career passing touchdowns in the National Football League at 2016 MVP, NFL Offensive MVP, Rookie of the Year, first-team All-Pro, four-time Pro Bowler, got his team to the Super Bowl. He's done a little bit of everything in Atlanta, as we said, but the era has moved on. I think a lot of people now looking at the post-Matt Ryan era saying, obviously he's the best quarterback they've ever had. Is he a Hall of Fame? potential quarterback in the National Football League because it seems like while he was in Atlanta, people kind of downplayed what he did in Atlanta and we're we're saying the Falcons could always do better, potentially. Then seems like there was the pro-defend Matt Ryan camp, Ben,
1: and the Matt Ryan is good, but you could do better. Yeah, that, that sounds good. That sounds good for those for those attractors of a Matt Ryan. No matter what he does, Kevin, they're they going to always say he underachieved. Okay, 14 years, 14 drafts, Super Bowl appearance, Regular season MVP, first team All-Pro, Offensive Player of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year. Gonna go over 60. C- gonna probably end up when his career is over. Gonna probably be right at 70,000 yards. Okay, but well, you start talking about 70,000 career yards, I'm looking at one, two, three, four. Four people. Who are those four people? As Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Brett Favre. When Matty Ice first got drafted in two thousand eight, did anybody think his name would even be in the same realm as those guys? I'm talking about you know Drew Brees, eighty thousand. That, I I I can safely say that him and Tom Brady are gonna be the only two in the eighty thousand mark. But if but if Tom, but if uh, if uh, Matty Ice ends up with more yards than Peyton Manning or Brett Favre, what else do we need to do? Because at a certain point, what you mean to your franchise, what you mean to the position. How you play the position, and B.J., and maybe Matty Ice might be the exception to the rule because we have this thing of, can you talk about a certain position without a player? Sometimes you can't, and they still are a Hall of Famer, right? So I think that Matty Ice is one of those guys, you say to yourself, where was the history with Atlanta before he got there? There wasn't one. Yeah, they made a Super Bowl. There wasn't no history. Where was the history at the quarterback position? Even more, like, mm mm-mm, Nothing. Now, when people start saying, what about Atlanta, Matty Ice? Because what Matty Ice did, he did these things Wow, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Ben Rossberger, Phillip Rivers were in the league. He got, so I always say this at his height, what is he? He's a regular season MVP. With Tom Brady? Yep, Drew Brees, yep. Most guys at their height, at, at Drew Brees' height, he won the Super Bowl. He never got no record season MVP, and he has 80,000 yards. So the yards can't just be the only barometer. But, B.J., when you start looking at his track record, when you start looking at the resume, what else do we need? Now, Kevin, I know I'm going to say this. If the barometer is Super Bowls, Dan Marino in there. Like, But he is. A Super Bowl is a team effort, Trent Dilfer. Right? I mean, I, 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 just, I just think that Nick Foles. Joe Flacco, that's a team because the team around you has has to matter, right? So I do think that when I look at when we look at Matty Eyes, we we've, we've grown up Atlanta Falcons fans, and sometimes I can't separate the player from the history of the team. There was no history before him. You had exciting Michael Vick, you had Dirty Bird uh, Jamal Anderson, and you had Eugene Robinson. And that was what Chris the Chandler,
0: uh, the Chris Chandler, the Chris era. Chandler.
1: Yeah. So I, I, <laughs> and you got Dion. I'm not saying you ain't had no great moments because you have. Man, every year since, since two thousand eight, people start saying, "Dude, Atlanta ain't gonna make the playoffs because they got Maddie Ice. They're not taking away Julio. They're not taking away, uh, you know, Tony Gonzalez, and uh, that's not taking away uh, guys like a uh, Michael Burner, Turner, and you know, uh, you know, so on and so forth." But BJ and Kevin, when we start thinking about certain teams, good teams have one thing in common: not a good defense, not a good running game, not even sometimes a good coach. Got good quarterback play. Sometimes great quarterback. Play. And I think to me, Maddie Ice. Right now he's top ten, and BJ, I know what it's all set up. But right now, he is top ten, and the guys that he gonna probably be in the same breath with: Brett Favre, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, and Tom Brady. If that's not a Hall of Famer, I don't think they exist. Yeah, it's a remarkable
2: resume to 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 reflect on. It really is. You know, when you think about uh, the consistency, you know, Christian was saying what ten straight years of of four thousand yards or more. You're thinking about uh an MVP in an era where you had Manning Brady breeze etc uh, you're talking about being a consistent participant in the postseason for a franchise as you used to talk about uh, Kevin early in your radio career that did it, it never had back-to back winning seasons uh there is just so much to reflect on with what he accomplished in Atlanta I think the question that's being asked now and we've seen you know social media posts and blogs and Shows all over the place saying, "Is he a Hall of Famer right now?" I think that is a fascinating question. I, I, I because just just being honest, my my visceral initial thought, and I'm not saying this is right or fair, but just my, my 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 first thought, and I've gone back and forth on this, but I think my first thought is not quite yet. But then when you go inside the numbers, I mean, you don't always you don't always just kind of take your first thought and, and, and go with it. You go look at the numbers, you look at the resume, you look at the production, you look at the proficiency. He's in the top ten in the history of the league in passing yards and passing touchdowns. He's won an MVP. He's been to a Super Bowl. He's helped elevate the status quo of a franchise to national relevance, to where there are expectations. Um, in terms of what what might he do, I mean, could could another 4,000-yard season do it? Could... Another playoff win, do it. Could he be in now? I'm, I, you know, I've, I've gone back and forth on this. I really have, and it's tough because the the conversations we've had, Ben and Kevin, over the years. You know, one of the criteria we've tried to stick to, because it's hard to be consistent, is we've asked, can you tell the story of the position without the player? And we've always said, if you can, maybe they're not a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know how how Matt Ryan fits into that because, as Kevin said, if you, I I would guess, ask football fans right now around the country, hey, talk about your top three or four quarterbacks from the last decade. Mm -hmm. I don't know that Matt Ryan's going to be the first reference, but but just because you play with other Hall of Famers Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you're not a Hall of Famer, right? Because you can have three, four, five, six, seven Hall of Fame players in one position – in one era. So it's a lot to process. Uh, I think I expect him to have success, Kevin, in, in, in Indianapolis. I think he's going to get the Colts into the postseason. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to have more yards, more touchdowns. End of the day, I think he gets in the Hall of Fame, and, and I think that'll be right. Right this second, if he were to come out and say, I'm done, I think it would be close. I uh-huh. think it would be close. And I, I'm, I'm having a hard time kind of. Explaining why, you know, you hate to say it's because of
0: all the very good. Well, I but, think but, is where you're at.
2: Kevin. You hate to say it's because of you know one thirty second you know sequence in the Super Bowl. If you had a Super Bowl right now, but it's it's a lot to process. Maybe it's just so fresh in the mind. It's
1: it, it's hard to have clarity. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a fascinating conversation. I just think that sometimes too. I mean, we we don't appreciate uh, consistency as much as we say. You're right. Like You're like, right. Because, like, like, people say, I get sick and tired of Alabama doing what they do. You know how hard it is to do that? They make it look easy. But look at, look at the infrastructure. Look at what they've built. Matty Ice, all he knows is being consistent, no matter who you give him. Matty Ice in 2021 had a rookie tight end. He did not have a number one receiver. He didn't even have a number two. His best receiver was also his best running back. Did he complain? No. When I started looking at the guys on this list, they played a lot longer than Matty Ice has up until this point. He's already close to 60,000. Matty Ice is going to be at 70,000 yards in um, far less time than some of these other guys did. Drew Brees played 20 years. Matty Ice is going to the year, what, 15? Very, very efficient. But can I ask you this, because this is where I struggle
2: a little bit, Kevin, and you said Hall of very good. Again, I think he's going to end up in the Hall of Fame. I think that'll be the right call. Mm-hmm. Right this second, though, because I know you and I have talked about this, Philip Rivers, I know you have said in the past. I don't know if you changed your mind. That probably not quite. You know, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. not. He's kind of, kind of right there on the edge. Well, Philip Rivers has what I'm trying to look uh, about
1: 64,000 passing yards. So, and he played, and, play, and he played, played. Uh, I think, I think Philip Rivers played uh, 17 years. So, Manny Ice, is going into year 15. But if Matt Ryan has a couple of more productive years, he's going to be in
2: that same ballpark. I, I, if, if he's there, like. Neither would have a Super Bowl, and Matt Ryan would obviously be cl- yeah. obviously was right there. Yeah, uh, I don't believe Philip Rivers had an MVP. Nope. But do you think? I, I, how, how would you kind of compare and contrast
1: Ryan and Rivers? Is it the Super Bowl and the MVP, or the or, or the difference? Right. If if if, uh, if Ryan don't get in, Phillip Rivers not getting in. I believe I believe Philip Rivers need Matt Ryan to get in in order for him to get in because I I I go back to this. If you break down sports. Freddie Freeman, right? I, I, he's a, Freddie Freeman gave you an MVP, right? In baseball. With all these players in the National, he gave you an MVP. That's hard to do, Kevin, especially when you're talking about he's one of the best, he's the best first baseman. But now I'm talking about being considered the best player in, you know, in the National League. When you talk about the quarterback position, right? Tom Brady's never gonna stop playing. And he's never gonna stop, right? Let's we we but in Maddie Ice's at the height of his career, what was he? He was the MVP for one season. My talent rose above everybody. Drew Brees never did that, so I got to have the yards in the Super Bowl. Philly Rivers, who did Philip Rivers play with? LaDainian and Tomlinson. Yeah, the MVP is huge. It so, is. So because, because what it does, BJ, people will say, "Oh, Boomer is sizing." Why? Why is he? Why this dude? Don't, when I work, you know, when I worked up there in uh, you know uh, New York, people say, "Why this dude on not Because he was the freaking MVP of the league with Dan Marino. So that's got to mean something, because. It's an individual thing and in what you meant to your team, right? And I think Matty Ice has done both. But this was really going to happen. He go to Indy. He going to light it up. Because now he got real number one receivers. He got the number one running back in, in football, at least, at least statistically last year. And he's going to give you 4,000 yards. So Matty Ice started getting to 70. What are we going to say then? Well, he just got 70. What? No. It's hard to be consistent. And he's still relevant going to year 15. Where's Cam Newton? Who's younger than Matty Ice? Oh, I ain't seen him either. Got a beautiful home in Charlotte. They do not want him, and he is the best player to ever come through the the Panthers organization. I'm telling you, BJ, if I'm the number one player for my organization and and I'm still being productive regardless of who you give me, Roddy White. I bet you he he loved Matty Ice. When he started getting them 100, 100 catch seasons back to back to back. And Julio. Who wants Julio right now? Hmm? I'm telling you, it's hard to be this good this long. Matty Ice Hall of Famer, if you don't get in, it's because these Hall of Fame voters, they don't know what the hell they're doing. That being said, we'll, uh, we'll talk to uh, Dave Archer, former Falcons quarterback. I think he might have known
0: what he was doing. <laughs> we'll, talk, we'll talk to him about now with the Falcons Radio Network. What does this departure mean uh, for the Falcons? With Matt Ryan going elsewhere, kind of the legacy he leaves behind. And it's Marcus Mariota time. For the Atlanta Falcons, what on earth are they going to do offensively? Still needing receivers and a lot of help elsewhere. Here, join us next. Here it's three and out on the Southern Pink Skin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on this Tuesday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, BJ Bennett. Glad you're making us a part of your day streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. The Atlanta Falcons moving on from Matt Ryan as they trade him to Indianapolis. Marcus Mariota signed yesterday to come in and take his place, obviously, in the short term. And joining us here, former Falcons quarterback and uh, color analyst on the Falcons radio network, Dave Archer, joins us here on 3 and Out. Dave, I know yesterday a tough day for Falcons fans. You move on from uh, an icon as somebody that's followed this team for a a long time and been a part of this team. How much did yesterday kind of hurt to say goodbye to Matt Ryan?
3: Yeah, it was uh, some tearjerker moments with it. There's no question about it. I I have had the pleasure of getting to know Matt maybe a lot better than most uh, from a media standpoint. Matt and I uh, spoke uh, pre-game or at least uh, during the week before every one of his games and then of course post-game he and I had an interview and then got to know Matt a little bit in the off-season throughout his career here um, so calling every one of his games a lot of memories there um, and a lot of really great moments uh, the highest of highs and some of the lowest of lows and no matter what the situation was just the most professional dude I was ever be around, just the nicest guy you'd want to be, to really a star in this league and, and doesn't carry himself that way just carries him as a He's a regular guy, and I think that's what endears him to his teammates and always has. But uh, be be tough to fill those shoes. I mean, he's a guy that's uh, put up numbers that probably won't be realized by anybody else in this franchise. So uh, big shoes to fill. um, But from a business standpoint, unfortunately, you can't get sentimental. It's it's a real business for Arthur and for Terry to try to rebuild his team and, put it back in a situation where it has a chance to compete. And some of that meant that they're going to have to clear some of that money off the scale. And, and some of it had to do with an aging quarterback. And unfortunately, Matt moves on. I'm, I'm hoping that things go well for him in Indianapolis and maybe he can realize some of those highs that he saw back in 2016.
2: Dave, such incredible and consistent production. Uh, of course, a run to the Super Bowl, an MVP. What, what makes him such an effective, uh, efficient player?
3: Well, I think his willingness to to not close his mind off to what the game is. I mean, the game's changed since he he stepped in in 08. Certainly changed for the Atlanta Falcons. They were a run-oriented team with Michael Turner carrying the rock, and even though Matt threw a touchdown pass on his first throw of his career, which is crazy in itself, I mean, he had to grow into kind of being the guy that he became that great passer, a guy that had 11 consecutive 4,000-yard passing seasons. You mentioned the MVP, and, all the things he did, the 370 or whatever it is, plus touchdown passes, uh, he had to learn, continue to learn, and I think his willingness to do that. I mean, think about the offensive coordinators the guy had. What do you have, four or five offensive coordinators when he was here? So changing some of that up, the change of different guys that he had to go to uh, as his go-to receivers throughout his years. But his just willingness to, to ebb and flow and never to get too high, never get too low. You never sense that he was uh, distressed about anything. Uh, yet there was a seriousness on his face, and he commanded respect from his teammates. And so I think all those things made him great.
1: I mean, Dave, when you think about the consistency of a guy like Matty Ice and being able to sit, like you mentioned, a lot of different guys that he threw the football to, but – to know that you had one guy for fourteen years—that's fourteen drafts. That's fourteen years of trying to find his replacement. That you couldn't do it, and to elevate the status quo of an Atlanta Falcons franchise that take away the Super Bowl run didn't have much of a history. Just talk about how much that was on his shoulders, and he seemed to have carried it well. And obviously, you wish him well, but everything that was on his shoulders, he still delivered.
3: Yeah, no question about it. Well said. Um, you think about the where this franchise was when Matt arrived. I mean. You're coming off of the unfortunate situation that happened with Mike Vick, and everybody loved Mike, and he put him in—he put himself in a bad spot, and things didn't obviously went sideways for him. Uh, the franchise was in the hands of Bob Petrino, who was not the best of people. I can tell you that firsthand. I had a chance to operate and work with him, and that was just uh, a bad situation. And I think Mr. Blank would probably admit probably a really bad hire he's only here for about 11 or 12 games and just leaves the franchise. And so we were at the lowest point we could possibly be in 07. And all of a sudden there in April in the draft, they select this kid out of, out of Boston college that many people thought, okay, should you take him? Should you take the D lineman out of, out of uh, LSU? Uh, But Matt Ryan was a guy they decided that had that, had that stuff about him. that was going to be able to do all the things you talked about. And, his ability to shoulder the franchise, the burden of the franchise, cause trying to dig themselves out of. They go to the playoffs the first year he's here, and certainly he had help around him, and he'd be the first guy to tell you any successes he had, he had guys around him to help make him plays. But I'm not sure as a quarterback that doesn't, it didn't say that once they had an opportunity to have some success in this league. But he just never. He was he was a champion on the field, he was a champion off the field. I mean the things that he did from a charity standpoint here. Uh, incredible, uh, the numbers and monies that he donated uh, to charities, and, and he was visible and those type of things, and never had a, a bad thing to say about anybody. Uh, just was incredible. He's the kind of guy that, you know, frankly, that if you're a parent, there's there's the guy you want your your daughter to marry, right there.
0: Dave Archer joining us here on Three and Out, and, and Dave, obviously, what does that signal to you about this Falcons team? I mean, you bring in March, Marcus Mariota on a two year deal. Uh, Matt Ryan's gone. I mean, is this full-on rebuild mode at this point?
3: Yeah, I think that certainly that, that will be thrown around, and I certainly probably apropos. I mean, I, I don't think you can tell Cordero Patterson. It's a rebuild. If they do keep Grady Jarrett in the fold, I don't think Grady's thinking about rebuild or Deion Jones or some of these guys that are going to return from a team that's been to a Super Bowl uh, in their time. Uh, so, and that's kind of a nasty word when you start talking about players that are on currently under the roster or on the roster. They're not really interested in the rebuild. They want to go win, and so I think Terry's done a good job of going to get some guys. Lorenzo Carter's an interesting guy to get to the Giants. I think he could rush the passer. I, know I talked to Dean Pease yesterday. Dean's excited about the potential of what the former Georgia Bulldog can bring to the table. Casey Hayward comes in as a corner. He had a really bad corner on one side of uh, of AJ, A.J. Terrell, and I don't mind telling you that Moreau is a walking – Penalty. So you had to get something over there. You get Isaiah Oliver back off of injury. You lose Foye Lewican. So that's really going to be a huge loss in the middle. They got to find somebody to fill that spot to be the signal caller defensively. Uh, the offensive line still what it is, and I think that's what kind of perpetuates maybe the Marcus Mariota's uh, uh, acquisition. Is Mariota knows the system some? Uh, he was actually, uh, ironically enough, benched while Arthur Smith was the offensive coordinator for Ryan Tannehill, but he still knows the system. And two years in, in Oakland, he or in Oakland, in, in, in Las Vegas, he's gotten healthy. They used him in some of those athletic moments out there. He is more athletic than Matt Ryan is. And when you've got an offensive line that struggled a year ago to protect Matt, really to struggle to protect Matt over the last three or four seasons, you've got a guy that's much more athletic to be able to extend plays, buy some time, maybe run for first downs, things like that that you didn't get from Matt. Now you're also going to sacrifice the expertise and know-how to get the ball out like throws he made to Pitts along the sidelines to beat Miami or the throw he made to Cordero Patterson down the sideline to beat the Saints this last season, you might lose some of that, but you gain that back from an athleticism standpoint. So rebuilds the word. None of the players that are on this roster want to hear about it, though.
2: So where does this leave Atlanta uh, entering the draft? You have a top-ten pick, of course. Uh, Is it best player available? Do they have a couple of... Uh, guys that maybe they're they're looking at could quarterback be an option uh, what's the philosophy heading into the draft
3: well Jim Terry Fontenot has been very very uh, transparent about it. he says best player available that's why Kyle Pitts came off the board at four last year um, so we'll have to see what's sitting there at eight I just don't see where there's a quarterback if you're going to stick to that mantra that a quarterback comes off the board at eight I think there's some intriguing guys Malik Willis is an intriguing guy I like Desmond Ritter, the veteran quarterback from Cincinnati. I think he brings some interesting things to the table. Obviously, there's conversations about Howell and, and about Pickett and those guys coming out of the ACC. Uh, but I just don't think quarterbacks, the operative play here. I think you did a good job of going and getting a veteran quarterback that be, can be that, maybe that placeholder and or play for him. This is only a 28, 29-year-old guy in Mariota. They say he comes in here and blows it up. Let's say he gets it done. That's a guy you might look at extending, you know, and then drafting your quarterback in the next season or two to get a quarterback to come in and a younger guy to learn and kind of train underneath Mariota. But if Mariota lights it up, that's the best of both worlds. He's potential to do that. But uh, the draft has got to be, you've got to be able to attack the passer. And, and I would think that if one of those pass rushers is sitting there at eight, that's where you go. Um, I would say that, you know, there's probably going to, they're going to try to pay attention to some local flavor. If they can get a couple of those or one of those Georgia Bulldogs off that great defense from a year ago, I don't see that hurt you either. And, and with the loss of Foye Oluokun, who Dean Pease is just beside himself losing Foya Oluokun, the middle backer who led the league in tackles, don't think that N'Kobe Dean is not on the list of players that they may be looking at now to Georgia. So um, it brings some different things into focus, but I think you've got to be looking at defense and how do I affect the other team's passer.
1: And David, how much? How much is a guy like a like a Marcus Mariota, as you mentioned, who understand Alder Smith, who they got ties, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, at a, at a previous team, going to help not just help him win games, but kind of help the locker room uh, be won over by him? Because you know, just like I know, you got to win that locker room before you can even start winning games. And year one doesn't really give him what he wants. How much can Marcus Mariota let the rest of the team, listen, man, buy into what this guy is selling? And maybe in twenty twenty three, when we actually got some money to spend, we can actually go out there and get some quality free agents.
3: Yeah, I there's a lot into that. I think there's a lot that Mariota could bring to the table that is away from the game um, as far as, uh, you know, how hard are you going to practice? How much do you avoid, absorb the, the uh, playbook? How much time do you spend uh, getting yourself ready? How much can he help these younger guys that don't know the system uh, that are coming in? But remember, the system's been in place, so it's not like Mariota's got to teach uh, a bunch of guys new stuff. There'll be a guy here or there that has to learn learn how the system goes. But Certainly, from a leadership standpoint, Mariota going to have to step into a very uncomfortable situation. Matt Ryan's been the guy on this on this team for 14 seasons, and so that's not an easy deal to step into a place where a guy has been uh, an alpha male on this team and and try to take that hold take hold of that. It'll be very di- not dicey, but it'll be very delicate how Mariota handles that. Got to be that guy. He has to be that dude. But it'll be interesting to see how he handles that to kind of build himself into that leadership position.
0: Dave Archer, former Falcons quarterback and member of the Falcons Radio Network, joining us here, Dave, before we let you go, it is March, March Madness, your Iowa State Cyclones, if not for uh, St. Peter's, might be the story of the tourney, right? Two wins a year ago and in the Sweet 16.
3: Yeah, both the men's and the ladies, only, two te- only three teams in the country uh, have three teams, uh, both their teams in Mich- Michigan and North Carolina, Join Iowa State is the only team's, That have both their men's and women's uh, teams in the Sweet 16. Excited about that. T.J. Otzelberger's done an amazing job with his team. Just two wins a year ago, as you mentioned. Didn't win a game in the Big 12 a year ago. And with a bunch of transfer guys, a young uh, uh, freshman point guard who can really get it done, they've found a way to scrap out some wins. Now, they they get in slugfests. And so uh, I'm worried about this next game, guys. I won't lie to you. Miami is talented. They're long. They can score. Uh, this will be a very tall task for the, for the Cyclones to try to hold this team down. They've, hold, they've held their last two opponents to 54 and 49 points. Not sure they're going to be able to do that, this Miami team. So they're going to have to score in this game to advance to the Elite Eight.
0: And we'll see if the Cyclones move on to the Elite Eight as the 11 seed. Dave, always a pleasure. Thanks so much.
3: Always good to be with you guys. Raza.
0: D- hey, Dave Archer joining us here on 3 and Out Falcons. As we talked about there, moving on from Matt Ryan, who's going to be up in Indianapolis Playing for the Colts. We'll come back. Spring practices popping up all over the country, including in Statesboro. Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles, hops on with us next. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you along here, 3 and Out, on this Tuesday. Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. Spring practice back at it there in Statesboro, along the banks of beautiful Eagle Creek. And the voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles, Danny Reed, joins us here on 3 and Out. Danny, welcome. How are you? What's going on, boys? Good to talk to you guys. Obviously, uh, we've heard a lot from Clay Helton, and it seemed like he was brought in so early in the process. Like It's hard to believe this is just now his first time to actually get out on the field uh, with his players, but it is. Here we are at spring practice. What do you think uh, is, is, is question number one for you trying to find out about uh, what exactly this Clay Helton team is going to look like?
4: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's for somebody that got here four weeks left in the season still, it, it was definitely Jared Benko, Dr. Kyle Marrero. They definitely set a trend by doing it this way, but seeing what he had to evaluate, all that was going to be lost, and the fact that offense, defense, and special teams are all going to look different they're on the field about getting ready to start practice as we speak, and I think that that's the main storyline. It's not so much, oh, who's going to play quarterback? It's how is that offense going to look? What is that defense going to look like with Will Harris serving as a D coordinator for the first time in his career and then having a true special teams coach? That's not something that Georgia Southern has had someone specifically dedicated to all special teams, but you bring in Turner West. He has coasted the Citadel. He spent a number of years with the Dallas Cowboys. So having somebody specifically dedicated to that part of the game and you've got an Hunter and Anthony Beck, who's got a chance to be an All-American this year, two very good kickers in Alex Rayner and Britton Williams. There, there are questions to be answered, but they're going to use these 15 practices to try to get scheme installed, to get culture installed, and then they'll go forward once fall camp gets here. Danny, what's the
2: excitement level like? I mean, I mean, to Kevin's point, there's been anticipation for quite some time for this spring practice. Uh, how much energy is there around campus?
4: Yeah, there's always a little bit of sizzle down in Statesboro because I've learned in seven years here there is football season and football off season. There, There's never really not a time when you're looking at what's going on at the FOC, but in this instance, you've got a full shift for the first time since probably 2016, and you could argue that it's even more than that because... The option verbiage is probably taken out of the lexicon. You might see a little bit of it here and there, but it's not going to be the basis of the offensive scheme, which it has been for so long, and it's been so ingrained in this culture. Defensively, is it going to be three man? Is it going to be four man? Is it going to be both? Is it going to be a hybrid? We we don't exactly know yet, and I, I think you know what you have special teams, but I'm sure the Turner West is going to. Drop his own little nuances to make that unit stand out even more. But there is there is a lot of people that want to know what it's going to look like. And when you've got a head coach that's won a Rose Bowl and spent a dozen years out in Los Angeles, you've got to imagine that things are going to be done with a certain kind of flair. And I'm personally excited to see it too.
1: Danny, what type of what type of temperament is a guy like Coach Hill? You talk about uh, winning a Rose Bowl, coming coming to games, but everybody coming to uh, Georgia Southern. Everybody was thinking, like, when, where was he going to go? You mentioned uh, Jared Binko being able to get him, but what is his temperament? Because nowadays, it's what type of coach? Is he a player's coach? Is he a hard-nosed coach? Is he a disciplinary? From your time, just spending with him, what, what has been his uh, demeanor to you?
4: It seems to be a little bit of both. It's somebody that not just coached at USC, but it's somebody that's been in coaching for more than a quarter of a century. His dad, Kim Halton, has been a coach at every level. Of course, Tyson held his brother, is the current head coach in Western Kentucky. So not only do they know ball, they know ball really well. There's not a whole lot that they haven't seen. He seems to be a very genuine person in the limited time I've had a chance to spend with him. We've done a couple of interviews. We've had some sit-downs just getting to know each other. But don't think that a guy like that who has spent some time at the highest level at USC doesn't know how to turn it on to get the most out of his players. So it's that balancing act of he's going to be that player's coach and trying to emphasize that he's there for them and they need to perform a certain way. But if he feels that it's not up to snuff, then that notch is going to get turned up a couple, of, a couple of pegs to make sure that they're getting what they should be out of him coaching them.
0: Danny, you mentioned it earlier. Obviously, it doesn't matter if you're running the option, not running the option uh, at Georgia Southern, at Appalachian State, at Wake Forest, at Southern Cal, whatever. Everybody wants to know who the quarterback's going to be. Is, is, is there quarterback competition or – do you feel pretty solid in saying that Kyle Treese is going to get the first crack at this thing?
4: Well, the coaching answer is that the competition is always open, regardless of if there's a starter, if you play two guys, if you play three, or in the case of Georgia Southern, you saw five different guys take snaps last year. Four different guys started a quarterback, and that's the first time in program history that it's happened. One, you could look at it that you have depth at that position, but two, you could also see that injuries and other factors were affecting the offense's ability to stay consistent, part of the reason why the all overall record was three and nine. I, it, it's tough for me to say who's going to get that first snap, and I think you need to wait until the first scrimmage to see who's going to be in that first group, what those personnel options are going to look like. Van certainly has the pedigree of someone that can do it. He's played for a very tough program at Buffalo, a program that was winning MAC championships not that long ago. He has got the experience. Cam Ransom is somebody that had to step into the starting lineup last year despite getting injured a couple of different times, being a lefty and being as athletic as he is. That provides you a couple of different methods of going in. Even if they decide to implement a wildcat, I'm not saying that they have, but if they do, you've got a guy like Caleb Hood, a guy like Sam Henderson, that could go back and take snaps. So there's certainly a number of different guys that you could put into those roles, and they're going to use these next few days and weeks to figure out what works, why it works, and what's going to be best for this team.
2: I know this question has been asked, you know, hundreds of times already, and uh, you know we're just getting to see spring ball here today. But do you have an idea for kind of what a what a run-pass-pass-run balance uh, might be from a goal standpoint? I mean, does this team want to be balanced? Do they want to run the football, or do they look at uh, you know the future and say we want to we want to try to throw the football more than we run it?
4: Yeah, Coach Helton has said a couple of times he'd like it to be somewhere around the sixty percent run, forty percent pass and you'd be foolish to not focus on the run with as much talent as in that running back room. Yeah, Logan Wright moves on after last year. J.D. King's coming back from injury. You've got Gerald Green, who's going to be coming back from injury, but somebody that thrived in his action in 2021 somebody like a Jalen White who is still waiting to be fully unleashed. He had a great game against Arkansas State and was the reason why Georgia Southern was able to close out Texas State in that victory in San Marcos. And, oh, by the way, you bring in a Terrence Gibbs, who's one of the highest recruits in school history, and an Amari Arnold who won a state championship at Brooks County this past season. So you got to find a way to get the ball to those guys but I also know that they are developing guys on the outside and that's what Brian Ellis and Ryan Applin along with Coach Heldon, they're all trying to devise this scheme is it going to be like something we've seen before I mean the college football is becoming a copycat sport so maybe it's going to look like what you've seen in terms of tempo and yards will they pass more I think it's foolish to say they they won't because of course they're going to but I also think that with all that running back talent you got to find a way to run the football somewhere between thirty-five and forty times a game. Because if you're not, then I, I, I think you're wasting your resources.
1: Danny, you talk about the excitement, uh, you know, going on right now in Statesboro and is so. But you know, the reality of the situation is, you don't get no mulligan years anymore. You are in the Sun Belt. You look at what Louisiana's <laughs> doing. You look at what Coastal Carolina's doing. You look at the consistency of Ab. You look at the the nice little rivalry you got with that, with that team up there in Atlanta. That's also GSU. Where did, where is Georgia Southern right now? You know, as a team, regard before you even get into the spring. Yeah. <laughs> That's one that's
4: tough to answer because next year, which is this fall, you're adding a Marshall, a Southern Miss, a James Madison, an Old Dominion. Three of those are in the East Division, which Georgia Southern is going to have to play. And, look, the legal things will be worked out between those schools and Conference USA, and I'm confident that those schools will be able to officially join the league and our schedule won't have to change. The pecking order-wise, Georgia Southern's probably looking up at certain programs, and that's something they're not used to. But you can't deny that App State has been the league's most consistent program over the last seven years. Coastal Carolina has back-to-back double-digit win seasons. Even somebody like a South Alabama is rapidly improving under Kane Womack and with the programs that are coming in. Marshall has been more than solid over the last few years. James Madison has been in the FCS semifinals and winning national championships on a regular basis. So not only does the Sun Belt become maybe the top group of five league, but the Sun Belt East specifically, I think might be one of the best divisions in all of college football, and I don't know if it's going that outside the box to say that.
0: Oh, certainly not. Uh, Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles, joining us. We've talked a lot, Danny, about the offensive side of things, and certainly you're going to need to score points. What about the defensive side of the ball? I know when, when Clay Helton was brought in, it was offense, 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 but where's the, uh, the, the attention being spent there on uh, the defensive side of the ball?
4: Well, the fact that you're getting so many guys back healthy is a main thing. You lost major guys on all three levels last year. You were down to your five and six running, or I'm sorry, five and six linebackers at a time. You had two true freshmen starting on the inside with Mike Edwards and Eldrick Robinson. Robinson has entered the transfer portal. So it looks like he's going to be continuing his career elsewhere. And then in the secondary, you were down to your number six and seven corners in some instances. So trying to put together a scheme that was going to be successful was almost impossible. Getting healthy guys back like Derek Canteen, who was a freshman All-American, tied for the National lead in interceptions during the 2020 season, having him back healthy is going to be a huge boost, and having some depth at linebacker and also up front getting a North Carolina transfer in like Christian Barner to maybe step in for the hole that's left by C.J. Wright, that's going to help firm things up. And not only that, but you've got 12 50-year guys that are coming back, and two of those are defensive ends, Dylan Springer and Justin Ellis. So that kind of experience is going to be something that Coach Helton has and will continue to lean on as he continues to learn about this culture and then put his own stamp on it. But listening to the press conference with defensive coordinator Will Harris, he's set an ambitious goal of they want to be a unit that has 30 sacks and forces 30 turnovers. Now, the turnover piece that Eagles have been really good in for the last couple of years, I would say they did take a dip last year in terms of turnover margin. The sack total is one that may take a little bit, but if he could find a way to get the most out of those defensive ends and get that push up front, those are there's no reason those goals can't be reached.
0: Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. The Eagles back at it for spring practice. Danny, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. You got it, guys. Thank you. And, again, we'll keep updating there from uh, beautiful Eagle Creek because everybody excited about the Clay Helton era there in Statesboro. And, of course, as he mentioned, that uh, that Sunbelt East is no joke. <laughs> Moving here into 2022. We'll come back with more 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, three and out on this Tuesday. Kevin B.J. and Ben will take three right around the corner. Also, look at the Braves as they are working their way through spring training. Uh, Justin Toscano, uh, AJC.com, will join us coming up in the final hour of the program. We'll get the latest there on the Atlanta Braves. Also, Rich Styles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show next hour. And in the final hour, Chris Gordy's talking SEC football with us from the Locked On SEC podcast. There's a bunch of teams there in the middle of spring ball.
2: Yeah, spring practice underway everywhere. How, how are you feeling about uh, the Gators, Billy Napier's Spring practice underway.
1: I mean, uh, obviously, I keep up with them. Uh, you know, on the Twitter sphere. I mean, they're only going to show the good highlights, a bunch of AR fifteen highlights, uh, a bunch of these uh, young running backs. BJ finally get to see what's you know, uh, young man out of Louisiana. You know what? Uh, you, you got you got uh, Demarcus Bowman and different guys, Lingard and those guys, but. Whenever you bring in a new coach, new energy, I, I be trying to keep up with the coaches more than the players. I've never seen as many coaches on one staff, but hey, you could do no wrong when the spring, Kevin and BJ, because there are no games, there are no scores. So now, as long as you come out injury free, I think that's a good spring.
0: Yeah, again, a lot of storylines around the SEC. Looking forward to uh, to breaking some of those Transfers
1: down. Transfers all over the place. I mean,
2: it's 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 crazy the roster turnover year to year. I mean, you start to look at. Uh, depth charts and kind of preseason all-conference teams, and you realize guys have moved around, so I think uh, spring ball is, is a learning process for players, coaches, and fans and media as we kind of adjust to uh, guys in new places.
1: This year, this time last year was talking about Spencer Rattler being a potential Heisman Trophy candidate. Now he's a Gamecock. So you, you never, ever know where, uh, where some of these uh, players are going to end up, but it's so much. I mean, it's so much about. Uh, it's so much about the season. Then it's the off season. Then it's then it's that early sign of the day. And then who's coming back and who's gonna be who's gonna use that uh that year they they gave a gave back. But uh, it's spring football. It's now. I remember spring football. No one knew, but the, but but you and the fans. Now spring football, the, the games are being moved, so it could be under the lights. It could be on ESPN. Hey, all all I know is I just hope my game has got 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 AR fifteen ready to go. and we'll see what happens. A lot of work to be done there in the spring. We'll hear from
0: Chris Gordy coming up final hour of the program. We'll take three on the flip side. Also look at the Braves there at spring training. Rich Styles is going to join us in hour number two as well. will talk a little golf here on three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back, Hour 2. Thanks for being with us here on this Tuesday. We'll look at the Braves. One of the quiet, quieter signings just happened for the Braves uh, the other day. We'll break that down. Also, Rich Styles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, will join us as we're a couple weeks out from the Masters. So looking forward to that. That being said, it's 4 o'clock. Let us take 3 here on 3 and Out. All right, fellas, take 1. Where would be a good fit for Baker Mayfield? Now, with the Deshaun Watson trade having gone through.
2: A guy that I think is going to have some value uh, when you think about teams that are in need of, of, of quarterback help. Uh, teams are always in the market uh, to potentially upgrade a quarterback. I, I, ben, I know you mentioned in the, well, I don't want to give your answer out, but you mentioned a couple of teams that I think probably have higher expectations than like a Houston, you know, uh, potentially. But maybe, maybe, maybe Carolina, you know, I, I I know you really like their roster. Uh, potentially, could you could you go to Carolina and I I don't know, be a playoff contender? Uh, uh, maybe. Um, I think I think potentially you look around. Uh, could you go to the New York Giants? I mean, that's a roster that is young, but I don't know that Daniel Jones has been great, been consistent. I think you would have an upgrade there if you went to went to New York. I won't say your answer, but I think. Maybe maybe Carolina, maybe
1: maybe maybe New York with the Giants. I mean, those are two uh, good landing spots. And both and both, uh, you know, being in the NFC for me, I think it might be the Seattle Seahawks. I think when you look at how much they're going to miss not having a guy like Russell Wilson, you want to be able to not, you want to reload. I mean, uh, you don't want to uh, just uh, be trying to go through the rebuild because the thing about rebuilding a guy like Pete Carroll, it's it's not like he's the guy that wants to start from scratch with a brand new. And I don't think. Uh, they really, really too high on Drew Locke. You got you get a guy like uh, Baker Mayfield, going going from the AFC to the NFC, going from potentially going from Cleveland, uh, you know to Seattle. He gets guys like DK Metcalf. He get no Bobby Wagner, but still a really, really good defense. Now that that division is not it's not going to be easy to go through when you look at you know when you look at uh defending national I mean defending our uh, you know uh Super Bowl champs. And the Rams, but I think the guy like Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield still brings quality to the quarterback position. Wasn't the guy that people thought he was going to be being the number one overall pick going to his fourth year, but still can push the ball down the field. You're going to have to have a quality running game. You're going to have to have a quality defense around him. You're going to have to have a head coach that has stability. Pete Carroll, Super Bowl winner, went to two Super Bowls. He's definitely going to be able to have that credibility. So for me, while I like uh, Carolina, while I like New York, I think Seattle might be the best landing spot.
0: Wow, I mean, there's a, a lot of interesting spots where Baker Mayfield could wind, could wind up. Uh, I think the question is, with all the weapons he had in Cleveland, is he going to land anywhere else that has anywhere close to that?
1: I yeah, mean, you, I, I, you he had to and, and, and again, everything.
0: And again, I think that's that's the, that's where you're at with your Baker Mayfield. It's like, you probably had it pretty good on offense in Cleveland. I know it is Cleveland, but where are you going to go where you're going to have better weapons to succeed? I guess maybe going to Seattle uh, would be the best because you get a guy, Pete Carroll, that kind of has that that rib of being a pro's pro, and I guess I just don't know if Baker Mayfield for me is going to work out long term anywhere I mean, let me he ask goes. You this,
2: just because it's your team, I I know the Titans have had you know some success with Ryan Tannehill. Do you think they would be in the market, or, or is Tannehill a better option than Mayfield at this point?
1: I, I do. I'm never. I don't think Ryan Tannehill is a better option than Baker Mayfield. I think Baker Mayfield got to understand that he's not going to be the focal point if he comes to Tennessee. It's all about running the football, but you get guys like A.J. Brown, obviously Julio Jones. They've moved on from him. But to think about Mike Vrabel, they want to play a certain style of football in Tennessee. They want to play, they want to play the ground and pound. They want to, they want to uh, do play action, go over the top when they have to. But to think about Baker Mayfield, Kevin, and B.J. is this. The guy can play the game, right? Dude, but, right? Think about, know. But, think, but, but Kevin, you make up a good point. They gave you Odell, right? They gave you Jarvis Landry. They gave you Peoples-Jones. They gave you. They gave David and Joko. They gave you Austin Hooper. They gave you Akeem Hunt. I mean, they they also gave you Nick Chubb. You want yeah. You then you had you had Miles Garrett on the other side. You you had a solid defense. You had a solid team. But I think Baker Mayfield wants to be the reason that they win, not that they win. Who does that sound like? Kind of sounds like Aaron Rodgers. Certain guys want to be the reason why you're winning, not that you're winning. And I don't know if he goes to a place like Tennessee, BJ, where they play a certain style of football. And Mike Vrabel going to say, "Dude, I'm not impressed by you." I come from the Bill Belichick coaching tree. I've, I've been successful as a player. I was coach. I was you know I got coach of the year last year. I think he, I think he would be. A- Listen, I love Ryan Tannehill. Not because I'll say I say you're to. winning with a less talented quarterback.
0: Yeah, I'm about to than, say I love Ryan, him let's let's
1: Ryan Tannehill. Is Ryan Tannehill getting right invited to the family barbecue because we family members right now because he played for the Titans? I invited <laughs> him. He just knew what to be. At the end of the day, if Baker Mayfield isn't a, isn't a step up for Ryan Tannehill, because Ryan Tannehill's good, but does anybody ever say, Ryan Tannehill's that dude, he's going to take – no, so if you can get Baker Mayfield, I think you are go out there and get him. But what scares people is, this is the final year of his contract. They don't want to have to give him the potential Deshaun Wazza type numbers with the time to ring him up. That'll be very interesting to see what happens here. Let's move along. Take two, what would be your most
0: compelling final four? Would you like to see a Duke-UNC? Final four matchup, which could happen, or would you like to see a Saint Peter's make a run?
2: It'd be a fifteen seed. I don't think that's ever happened. Has it yeah, a fifteen seed in the final that's, four? That's uh, St. Peter's in the final four would be amazing. And uh that 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 went over Kentucky and then to and then to follow it up and beat Murray State, who again I mentioned I, I think they were they had two losses entering that game. I mean, St. Peter's has been incredible, but I do think uh, for as much as that Cinderella story is amazing, I think the you know the Duke North Carolina with it being Coach K's final year. I mean, what a story! That's that's a that's a movie script, right? When you think about Duke Carolina, uh, the college basketball rivalry that it is, and then you have Coach K who lost at home to North Carolina in his final game in in Cameron Indoor. Uh, I, I I think Duke Carolina, the rivalry it is to have that in the Final Four, and then to have that potentially either be a springboard to a championship game for Coach K or North Carolina, shuts it down again. Uh, that would just be I, – I, wow,
1: that would be incredible. But St. Peter's as well. St. Peter's, Peter's to me would be, uh, you know, uh, the most intriguing because, I mean, let's face it, the Peacocks, I mean, this Cinderella run has been incredible. And you're going to get one every year. I don't think you've ever seen anything like – you know, the St. Peter's Peacock, Jersey City, New Jersey. You know, stand up. I live real close to Jersey City when I was in New Jersey. Knew nothing about no Peacocks or no St. <laughs> Peter's. But because this is about taking down the evil empire you known as Duke, I would love for North Carolina to just tell Duke, look, we don't like y'all. We're not fans of Coach K. We don't care about his legacy. Nothing more to not only, be like you said, BJ, beat you the last game of the regular season at home if UNC – Oh, Coach Hubert, look at Coach K and go, listen, man, we, we run tobacco road. We don't like y'all. We don't like y'all. Because like, that's what it's going to be, right? It's going to be star-studded. Everybody's going to be, hey, man, let's get it. Come to Coach K. What's out of Coach K? Now, you, now, Georgia fans aren't. They don't want them to ever leave because they want to have something to root for in basketball season. I get that part. <laughs> and, but... the, and there it is. No no, 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 no. Let's call it what it is. Like, look, we got we to make a declaration right now. Whatever school you went to, that's who you root for. No, no,
0: I will say I, on, on some of the social medias, I have seen a lot of Coach K tribute video love from people with Georgia National Championship that's profile old, pictures. That's,
1: that's I'm just saying. I, people <laughs> say, like, why you think your,
0: because there's truth in it. No, no,
1: there no, is no, the truth. No, no, no. no, no, no. I, I, listen, I'm not going to – A lot of Coach K fans wearing Georgia Bulldog red. I'm not going to call, I'm I'm gonna call listen, There's a very, very highly distinguished gentleman that, you know, we know – uh, does great things uh, for this for this radio network. We appreciate him. But he roots for a certain – he roots for a different team during college football season, a different team during college basketball season, and doesn't even root for the home state team during baseball season. So all I'm saying is, if somebody say, who you root for in college football? I root for them dogs. I said so who you root for in basketball season? Duke. Well, who do you root for in baseball? <laughs> the Yankees. You know what? Just go ahead. But yeah. wait, We need Coach K to be done. Tired of dealing with him. Yeah, I think it would be poetic to have North
0: Carolina in <laughs> the Coach K career. Because, again, I, if I heard it once, I heard it 10,000 times uh, over the weekend, this could be Mike Krzyzewski's last game. Like, people want so bad for him to go out with a championship. It's ridiculous. And it's like, I get we always, again, we always want that Hollywood ending. That's why people got behind Stetson Bennett. Oh, it's a great movie. He's going to make the script. And so, I, I get it. I don't need Coach K to win another championship. Nope, I'm fine. Look, as somebody who has got, what, five? Now we've, I've, look, we've seen a lot of Coach K. We've seen a lot of great teams. We know yeah. all the guys that are on TV, guys who won national championships, been in the NBA, uh, analysts on ESPN talking about we're going to break down Coach K's game. Okay. What makes him a great guy? Is he a great guy? He's a great coach. I, I don't know. But anyway, I don't care. I, I personally would ah, rather ah, I, I, I do this yes. to Gonzaga. One, because it helps my bracket. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't think St. Peter's going to make the Final Four. I, again, I think they're going to have trouble with Purdue. Purdue's got some size. St. Peter's does not. And I think this is where the Cinderella season ends. And Coach Holloway, if he wants to, going to have an opportunity to go get paid somewhere, not Name St. Peter's, to coach basketball more than likely. Moving along, take three. Who should people be watching out for at Braves Spring Training? And we'll talk to uh, Justin Toscano, AJC.com, new Braves beat right. He's had an eventful first month and a half on the job, stepped into the gig in the middle of a work stoppage. Comes out of the work stoppage, the franchise face doesn't get re-signed, and coming
2: off a World Series, welcome to the gig. But who should you be watching out for there at spring training? Yeah, I don't know that there's a ton of uncertainty, right? Like, I mean, you look at uh, the lineup, and I think you pretty much have a good sense for who's going to be where. You look at the bullpen. I will get to this momentarily, but the bullpen is the best in baseball. I mean, what a just just stack bullpen. And then I think you look at – the front end of the rotation, and we're all going to have to wait and see with with Mike Soroka to see where he is in his recovery process. But I think you look at the the starting three, the big three, so to speak, and uh, it's, it's of course, uh, Max Freed, uh, Charlie Morton, and Ian Anderson. Waskar, you know, probably right there as well. I think he pitched today in the spring training game. I think you're looking at at, at Kyle Wright. Uh, Kyle Wright has had some great moments for the Braves. He's also had a couple of moments where it's gotten away from him a little bit, his struggle with... Uh, some of the control. He's had that volatility you expect from a young pitcher, but I don't know that he's that young anymore. I mean, now he's had some experience. He's had uh, a couple of years at the major league level and the Braves need him to be that, that fifth starter to stabilize the back end of the rotation. So for some guys, spring training stuff doesn't really matter. I mean, look, if you, if you, if Ozzie Albies hits, you know, 400 or 200, you know what kind of player he's going to be. I, I, I think for, for Kyle Wright, the confidence needs to be there. I think if he has a good spring, he solidifies himself as the fifth starter. Maybe Kyle Muller, Colin McHugh. There are other guys that are potential options. But I think I think Kyle Wright needs to have a big spring.
1: For me, BJ, I think it is somebody that's not on the field, uh, Kevin, as well. I mean, I think you are looking at the health of Mike Soroka. This time last year, they were saying the same thing. He's on schedule. I think he's going to be able to play. And the season came up. Oh, well, you know, I'm just I'm – just, Checking to make sure he's staying on schedule. Because BJ, you talk about, I mean, you talk about uh, you know, you talk about Kyle Wright, you talk about Max Free, you talk about Ian Anderson, those guys, Charlie Morton. You get to add a Mike Soroka to that, that makes you even more dangerous. Because the thing about this team is, yes, out of the big three, Kevin, we will say, is it going to be Peterson? Is it going to be Soler? Is it going to be Rosario? They, they, they got Rosario. Boom. That's that's how you got out of the big three that you got the trade deadline. Obviously, there's a guy by the name of Ronald Acuna, Jr. Tank your time young man there will be no rushing you back at all i don't care Snit, you you can you can handle it. sit your behind down you know congratulations I, you know he's a, you know he's a, he's a dad now i, I see him in there, you know coming in there with with a little ron lacoy junior I, I i hope to god that young man does not play baseball cuz you don't want to live up to them to that to the big shoes of his daddy but i think it is the health of mike Soroka because the fact of the matter is that's going to that's going to that's going to you know be on uh weigh heavily on his team because they are going to be wondering when does he come back Cause this Braves team is loaded. I am not saying they are not loaded. I am not saying that. But Kevin, you know, you are you the one I go to for you know for my baseball knowledge. With they healthy, Mike Soroka added to this lineup. How much? And I and that's assuming that he's the Mike Soroka that left. Yep. We get that part. If he's halfway to what he was, how much more dangerous does he make this lineup? Uh very much.
0: I mean, because now you look at everybody that's at the top of that rotation. Not only has multiple years of NLCS experience, they all now have World Series experience and know what that means. So, so I, I, I think huge. To me, I, I look at spring training not so much for the guys that I'm going to see uh, during the regular season, but the guys that I could see uh, in the regular season. So that's why when you see a guy like Michael Harris II, uh, I'm looking at that guy. Why? Because he's the next—he's going to be one of those guys, if the Braves go down a, an outfielder, it's going to be him. It's going to be Waters. It's going to be one of those two guys. So you watch those guys. Uh, a guy that pitched today, Spencer Strider, apparently pitched really, really well. A lot of people think— could he have an outside chance at the fifth spot? Who knows? But you watch those guys on the back end that you may not see in April. You may not see in May, but you could see it in June, July, August. If the Braves get in a pitch, you say, who's the next guy coming up? Watch them now uh, because, because I think this Braves team is one that, uh, BJ, you bring up a point. When you're coming off a World Series and your front office goes out and spins and your roster is not appreciably worse, I'm sorry, there's there ain't a lot of spots for people to just show up and, and, and splash on the scene. Right? It's pretty well set. We know what we got. Uh, So, I think you start looking who's going to be the next guy if we get in trouble. If somebody gets hurt, who's going to be that guy that comes in and fills in the gap? That's the guys I'm watching there at spring training. That's take three. We do it every day at this time. We'll come back. We'll look at this Braves team. Might they have one of the best position groups in Major League Baseball with one of the more kind of quieter signings, really, in the last couple of days? We'll come back. It's three and out. Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. And quietly, uh, BJ and Ben, the Braves have put together, they had one of the best last season, but I think with the addition of Kinley Jansen, have locked it up, they got the best bullpen in Major League Baseball. And I think you look at what the Braves are looking at coming into 2022, if Max Frey gives you six and he leaves with a lead, if Ian Anderson gives you six, I know you'd like them to go deeper. It gives you six with a lead. You got the night shift coming back, which is Luke Jackson, Mentor, uh, Matsick, and Will Smith. And then you add a guy like Kinley Jansen, who is a All Star, three time All Star, won the 2020 World Series, 38 saves last year. Uh, this is could, could be lights out uh, time for the Atlanta Braves. And I thought one because it kind of got uh, finished around uh, you know midnight Eastern time. It seems like not a lot of folks have sunk in what that signing meant. And then you, you ask Will Smith, hey, are you cool with this? He's like, yeah, I don't care if I pitch to ninth. I want to win. I want to win another World Series. So you get that. And then Kenley Jansen, this could be the best bullpen
2: in all of baseball. Great addition. Uh, Kenley Jansen, a three-time All-Star, World Series champion, last season with L.A., uh, an ERA near 2, 38 saves, as you talked about, and I think he is a slam-the-door, you know, top, top, top-end closer that has done it. Obviously, pressure moments, the big stage, the postseason, uh, uh, division races, so I, I love that addition. And you're talking about a bullpen that on paper is the best in baseball. It is, and I'm really not sure it's it's close. And when you think about not only uh, the number of guys, but the versatility. I mean, Tyler Matzik, as he showed in the postseason, you can close a game with him. He can set up. He can be the high-leverage guy, Kevin, where you have a couple of uh, runners on and you have to get a double play or or, or, or get a key out. A.J. Minter can close. He can be an eighth-inning guy. Colin McHugh has pitched in the postseason. He's potentially a long-relief guy where if you need someone to go you know, three innings, four innings, I think he can do that. Luke Jackson was fantastic for much of last year. That slider is impossible to hit, and... I think when we evaluate baseball teams, you you kind of naturally go towards, oh, man, the you know, the big starting pitchers or who are the big bats in the lineup. You win games with the bullpen. Braves fans know that. You lose games with the bullpen. Braves fans know that. When you look back over, you know, the last couple of years with this organization. So, this is a great addition. Uh, and, Kevin, you're right. I didn't really, I guess because it, Sort of broke late at night. You didn't have the huge fanfare, the national media response. I think this is one of the best signings we've seen. Great job by Alex
1: Anthopoulos. And if the Braves have a lead in the ninth inning, game's over. I mean, I do agree. I think. I mean, when uh, when it came through, I said, Kenley James." And I said, "I mean, uh, it, it seemed like every time I watched the Dodgers in the postseason, this guy, this guy was being called up uh, to close games." But Kevin, you mentioned the night shift. We met, we mentioned the World Series. This is the same bullpen that used to be the Achilles heel for this Braves team. Now they are one of the strengths, if not the strength, of this Braves team. And you talk about confidence that was built in the World Series. I mean, you add a guy like Ken, like Kenley Jansen, that's only gonna add to the confidence. And for something you said. Will Smith says, that Thoblins calls him out of respect. Hey, Will, we're gonna get Kenley Jansen. I wanna get another ring. Like I think that's gonna go unnoticed because he could have said, No. I I'm I'm the guy. Because there, there's kind of the ego trip that goes Absolutely. with that. yeah. But, but, I, but I think, too, one, one thing about it is Will Smith shows you. When Will Smith says, I'm good with it, that means he's bought into the culture of the Braves, not just the team of the Braves. Because the one thing about Alex Anthopoulos is this. He doesn't move like every other GM moves, but he makes quality moves. Like, we kept saying, which one of the big three at the trade deadline do you get? You got to get one. He got Rosario. You can live with it because you know what, what Soler did. I mean, somebody's going to snatch him up. He goes to the Marlins, and obviously couldn't get out Jock Peterson. But you add a guy, you know, like Jansen. I think BJ and Kevin. I think sometimes confidence is that that great elixir when you talk about sports. If I'm if I'm adding a guy to this to this uh you know to this bullpen or whatever, that's that's as good as Jansen. It's only going to help. Plus, once again, the most exciting team in the, after the sixth inning used to be the Braves because they got to go to the bullpen. You blow. Like, it used to get ugly. Now, hey man, they Braves get. I mean, we ain't talking about the Glavin and, and Smoles days. But they can win two to zero. They can win three to zero, and you don't want to have to sweat it out. But Kevin, if, Kevin said if the starter can give us six in as well, do that. I, at. That's what I wanted to ask because I know in the
2: past you haven't necessarily, and and few people are, been a big fan of just just give me five. But with the way the bullpen is constructed, with the depth and the versatility, I mean, is that actually a, a I, goal that makes sense? Yeah,
0: I mean, if I if I'm Brian Snicker, I look. I'm I'm talking to guys in spring training and say Max. Go out on the mound with confidence that if you give me five or six really good innings, we're going to win. If you give me seven good innings, we're really going to win. You know, I would say the same for Ian Anderson. I mean, look, BJ, you are so deep. And with the three batter rule in, in Major League Baseball, you could potentially run out, if your starter gives you seven, a couple of sets of closers. You, mean, could you could come out with matching. You could come out with matching and Kenley Jansen, and if you're like they're kind of tired, the next night come back with Minter and Smith. Yeah, are there like, fixed you,
2: roles in your mind? I mean, I is think there a tr- seventh inning and eighth inning. And then I think Jansen? you're going to have some
0: of that, but I, I think when Kenley Jansen gets overused, Will Smith will be able to close. Uh, you know, I, so I, I, I think that's the plan uh, going forward. But look, if I'm if I'm Brian Snicker, I have options. I, and I told you before the show I said if there's one thing. I would worry about it would be bullpen overuse. Why? Because I think, well, Brian Sticker loves to use the bullpen. It's just the specialization of baseball. People like to go to the bullpen and, and fit those defined rules. But I think you, if you can avoid some of that and get just one extra inning out of your starter and have a f- group of five guys like Jackson Mentor, Matzik-Smith, and Jansen stay fresh, oh, my goodness, what a difference uh, that would be. And you could have, uh, again, if Jansen's getting overused you have another guy who could close. You have, what, three or four guys in that night shift crew that have gotten saves? AJ I a. mean, Minters technically,
2: has a, when you think about Jansen, obviously, Smith, obviously, Matzik, Jackson, and what, Minter? They've right? all at various I, times had to I, close, I, yeah. yeah. So,
0: I mean, do you have a big-time experience there now? Have they all had to do it in uh, the World Series? No, but, I mean, Tyler Matzik pitched maybe some of the, the, the toughest innings the Braves had all year in the postseason. So, experienced, talented, talented. I mean, it's everything you want, and again, when you're able to take a baseball game and basically say, if we get to the, the, the sixth inning and we need nine outs, you're not, you're not going to beat us. That is a confidence play, not only for the manager, not only for the bullpen, for the guys that start the game. Who And again, I don't want to give Max Fried and Charlie Morton the mindset of, hey, I just need to go five innings. But I think if I, I tell Max Fried and Charlie Morton and, and Ian Anderson, you go five, we're in good shape. If you go six and we have a lead, we feel real good. If you can give us seven on a great pitching performance, there is not a chance we're going to lose that ball game. I, I, I mean, I, I feel like that's the mindset you should have. If you, if you're up there I mean, it's going to happen it's baseball, but more often than not, if you have a lead in the seventh inning with this crew, you're going to win. And I know we're going to win a lot of games.
2: Way ahead, man look, we're looking way ahead. But to me, as we saw last year, this is the kind of bullpen you win a World Series with. This is a bullpen built. For the postseason, because for as important as a bullpen is over the duration of 162, your your bullpens might be the most important aspect yeah. of your team. You in saw the how they season. get used in the postseason. Yeah. Starters go like three, maybe yeah. four innings at the most. In and the postseason, your bullpen is essentially collectively a starting pitcher every night. With the innings they 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 eat up, so I I, I just think brilliant what they've done with the bullpen.
1: Adam Thomas always making moves. Listen, he, he, he's playing chess when everybody else is playing checkers. He's been doing it. He's been doing it the Braves way he had he couldn't he couldn't worry himself about what's going on around you know in the rest of his division. But look, when you bring when you bring on a guy like Jansen, I mean, you understand what you're doing to that bullpen. And like you say, Kevin, I mean, it, it's a confidence builder because it makes everybody else to look. Man, you still got to deal with these bats. You still got to deal with the, with this Braves offense, whoever the opposing. But but now the Braves get up three four in three four you know three four runs. They got a chance to win a lot of games. Well, great at great. And,
0: I, and something I think is also very interesting to to, to point out is that. Ben said, "Hey, this is a team that could win two to nothing. Yeah, some nights if your offense isn't working, you could still lock it down and win a one nothing ball game too. I just think, because I look at this lineup, you're not going to play a lot of two run ball games. You're going to have a lot of four, five, six run nights, maybe even more, with the way this lineup can hit the baseball.
2: Yeah, and it, you know it's interesting to look at some of the and pre-season. with the DH, you would expect sure, that to go up. Sure. Sorry, I'm no, no, no." I, uh... Power rankings, right? And and there's a lot of high expectations, obviously, for some of the starting pitchers in the division, the big names. You think about Max Scherzer. Well, the thing about Max Scherzer, you know, when you compare that addition to a Kenley Jansen, and I love starting pitchers, but Max Scherzer plays one time a week. He plays one time a week. Kenley Jansen, theoretically, and, and Kevin, like you said, you don't want to overuse him, but this is a guy that could three, four times a week and in, in high-leverage situations. So... I know sometimes the starting pitching contracts and uh, free agent signings get all the attention and hype. Boy, if you have a bullpen that can shut it down, if you have a bullpen with depth, if you have a bullpen, and I don't know, Kevin, maybe you know off the top of your head kind of the righty-lefty situation. I'm sure you have options there. Colin McHugh can do a number of different things. I mean, options. Brian Snicker's going to have options every single night.
0: Uh, Again, uh, whoever he brings out there. Is going to be nasty. So, I mean, I think that is at the end of the day. A lot of stuff to be excited about. We got more to come here at 3 and out. We're a couple of weeks away from the Masters. Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, will join us when we return. It's 3 and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, 3 and Out, on this Tuesday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, B.J. Bennett. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Justin Toscano, AJC.com, covers the Atlanta Braves. He will join us coming up in the final hour of the program. Also, Chris Gordy, Locked On, SEC Podcast, will join us as spring practices all over the Southeastern Conference, and we'll hear from him coming up in the final hour of the program. have got a little Hawks and Knicks tonight. Hawks, with a little bit of the Atlanta Braves disease from a season ago, can't get above five hundred. No matter what they try, and they'll try to do it against the uh, the Knicks tonight. Uh, if they win, they'll be 36-36. I think trying to get out
2: of the bottom two in the play-in uh, situation. Uh, for... well, yeah, it's interesting because I, you you don't want to play the Nets, and I know you can't kind of you can't kind of you know do it that way. You want to win. They're in the 10 spot now. I think it would take a just just unprecedented uh, fall and then change at the bottom of the standings for the Hawks to not be in. I think they're in you know really good shape. To get into the play-in tournament, you probably don't want to play the Nets, but you're right. Uh, they have not been able to get over 500. They've been one or two games below. They've gotten to 500, and then for whatever reason, just can't get that winning record. I think you, I think you can win in New York tonight. Uh, you have more to play for. Uh, you're going to be a postseason team. You're again trying to get to 500, but just another remarkable season from Trey Young. Uh, just to be able to watch him every night, it's 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 30 and 10. It's what do you have last week? 45 and 15. Uh, so he is just so electric, so dynamic. Uh, when he is in rhythm, scores at a uh, rate that, in an efficiency level that, that few players in the league can. Uh, I think sometimes kind of what the Hawks do depends on the production of, you know, Bogdanovich, Gallinari, Hunter, uh, some of the secondary scoring options. Clint Capella's been rebounding. I know you've dealt with some injuries, but, I think a chance to win tonight, get to five hundred. Uh, you're going to be in the playoffs, and you just hope you don't play Brooklyn in the uh, in the play-in. I guess tournament first round.
1: This is what we talked about last year, though, Kevin. When it comes to these young hawks, how do they handle success coming off a of, coming off a of, you know uh, you know uh, Eastern Conference Finals? Uh, you know meeting meeting the uh, me Giannis and those guys. But hey, what a difference a year makes. I mean, you're still dealing with a a young uh, a young uh, crop of players. B.J. is still trying to figure out how to win. Nate McMillan. I mean. You know, get, get that interim tag off, and now you know being the head coach. Of this, I, I'm gonna say the same thing about the Hawks. I always say, can they be active on the defensive end? You don't got to be shut down. Can they be active? They can go out there and run with the best stuff. Every time they play Milwaukee, they give it, it's a dog fight, and they, they do seem to play better against the better team,
2: which is kind of weird.
1: I, I think what happens is though, you know, sometimes I mean, you play down the lesser competition, you play up the better competition. But the thing about this Hawks team, they still got – trigger trade. Is, I mean, it's all going. Uh, Go off him. He's going to give you quality minutes, quality buckets, but decision-making down the stretch. Can, Can we do what hasn't been done in basketball in the last 10 years? Can you box out? Can you rebound? Can you make a stop? And by all means, can you hit a free throw? If those things happen for these Hawks team, they're gonna be very. They seem to play really, really good once they get in the playoffs, but they want to get away from that ten spot. I don't like wavering. Be right at give me, give me six, seven, not, not eight, nine, to ten. I think, I think six, seven would be
2: would be tough at this point. Yeah, they Absolutely. got a little work to do if yeah, they're yeah, gonna try to no pull down Collins. But you know, Trey Young has just been extraordinary, and and I think to I mean, is he? Where were? Where would y'all rank him right now? I mean,
1: top, top what? Top twenty. I was gonna say top 15. I mean, yeah, I would say this. If I'm in the top 10 or top 15, top 20 in the league, when let's face it, we've gotten the rape. No, no one compares them to Luca anymore. Like that's how you know. Because at first, like, oh don't do it. I think I think right now Trey has had a better career thus far than Luca, even though Luca has zero help. Well, has the postseason success. Yeah, postseason. But like I said, but it's what it's what you have done. What have you done for me lately? You know, like like the shoes, like like the, like the contract extension. We gotta get back in the playoffs. Got to make some noise because you know if the, if they do indeed they're not gonna they're not gonna beat Milwaukee they're not gonna beat the Heat I get it I'm, beat- I'm just saying the Braves got to 500 got the winning record and that's then, right. and then won the World Series I'm just I'm just saying oh, are, you, are you trying to say Trey said uh, the notion of I want to bring a championship here we know Trey
0: well I think uh, what he's saying is the Hawks need to trade for Jorge Soler is
1: or Jock Peterson yeah. <laughs> or Rosario. <laughs> Just get one of those guys. And that's fine. Go, 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 go get, go go get one of Giannis's brothers. You can't get. Giannis have one, have one of the
0: Hawks start wearing pearls out there playing the basketball game. And it, you know, turn the whole thing around. No,
2: we got the remedy. Trade get, Matt Ryan. Just get to five hundred. <laughs> get to five hundred. <laughs> then you move on to the winning record. Then you win in the playoffs. That's how it. That's how it's supposed to go. Just get, just get in the playoffs. We we, we won't care what that who's taking five hundred. get the playoffs. We'll call that a
0: dub if they get there at the end of the day. We got a busy final hour coming up. Justin Toscano, AJC.com, covers the Atlanta Braves. He's had quite an interesting first month or so. He just started uh, on the gig there in February and came in at a work stoppage. The face of the franchise, not re-signed. And still one of the better teams in Major League Baseball, if not one of the best contenders for the World Series here in 2022. We'll get his thoughts when we come back. Also, Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC Podcast, will join us, and we'll hear from Dave Archer, former Falcons quarterback, on the departure of one Matt Ryan, who was wearing the Indy blue and white today. Saw a picture of him holding up the jersey and looks looks odd. Not going not gonna to lie. We'll come back. And Justin Toscano joins us. We're talking Braves baseball next here on 3 and Out. Good to have you back here, 3 and Out, on this Tuesday. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, Ben Troop. Glad you're making us a part of your day, Braves at Spring Training. And again, working their way up towards that uh, April 7th opening day. Joining us here, he covers the Atlanta Braves beat for the AJC.com. Justin Toscano joins us here on 3 and Out. Justin, welcome to the show. How are you?
5: Doing well, guys. Thanks for having
0: me. Hey, we appreciate you coming on, and welcome to uh, to the Braves beat. I know it's been an an interesting uh ride since you started, right? Work stoppage, the face of the franchise not re signed, um, a lot of guys being brought in and still World Series contenders, uh, through it all. Uh, how would you rate this Braves off season to this point?
5: Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been pretty hectic. I uh I came over from the Mets beat and everybody said this would be uh a little more subdued and so far I haven't seen that. But no, I think the Braves are in a good spot. Um, obviously, a lot of people were pretty upset over Freddie Freeman leaving. That's going to be a hole you you can't replace. But they've done pretty well to fill it with a guy you couldn't have hand-picked better, and then rounding out the roster otherwise. So it looks like things are kind of full steam ahead.
2: Justin, what are your thoughts on how the Freddie Freeman situation sort of played out from a contractual standpoint? What was offered? What wasn't? The timing. Uh, obviously, the trade for Matt Olson. How do you how do you kind of process? Uh, how all of that played out
5: yeah so for from a bigger picture uh the weirdest part of this entire situation is you have two sides freddie freeman's side and the braves both sides wanted a reunion and yet we're still not able to make it happen and i think that's the weirdest part and i think when you start uh parsing this thing um with what had come out i know buster only had a piece uh Last week, and, and had gotten some kind of things on background about a uh, a deadline that Excel Sports Management, uh, Freddie Freeman's camp, had given the Braves a one-hour deadline for two separate deals or whatnot that they had, uh, you know, thought that the Braves would accept. Um, the Braves didn't. The Braves had to pivot, uh, and so I think um, in this case, you kind of saw a little bit of Freddie Freeman's camp playing a little bit of hardball with Alex Anthopoulos and. Alex didn't budge um, and, you know, credit to him. He got a guy who was about five years younger can produce at a similar rate um, for longer and cheaper. And then, you know, rounded out the roster otherwise after that. So I think uh, when you kind of look back at this, uh, the strange part for me is that I know Freddie Freeman's value had gone way up just by virtue of having let him get to free agency after two productive years, including, you know, an MVP season. But, um, and then all the years before that on his contract. But I had heard that the Braves offered five years and 140 million, uh, with a little flexibility to perhaps go up on that. I'm not sure how much they would have went up, but to me that that seems like a good amount of money for a first baseman who at the end of the deal would have been about 37 years old. Um, and I know, Um, The reports, you know, for a while have had Freddie wanting that – had wanted that sixth year. Um, And you could argue the Braves, one, should have never let it get to that point. Two, should have just paid the franchise icon more. But on the other hand, you look at what it did to Freddie's market uh, when the Braves pulled out of that and pivoted. um, He got a lower AAV or, you know, just about the same AAV with the Dodgers. And then you have higher taxes in California. So And then a lot of deferred money, which brought the value – of the deal down. So um, a really strange situation, but I think my final takeaway is just, uh, I think the Braves are in a better spot um, for their future. But I, I do understand that for some people, that's not going to lessen the blow of losing an icon.
1: But just a guy like Alex Thomas, he, I mean, you, you talk about the iconic figure that is Freddie Freeman, but you get mad Olsen and you talking about a guy who's younger. He's not, nobody's better at the first base position than, uh, than Freddie Free, But Matt Olson was highly sought after as well. I mean, there was a lot of teams uh trying to get his services as well. You re-sign Rosario. I mean, you bring in a guy like Kenley Jansen. I mean, lo and behold, you did a really, really good job. But obviously when you wasn't able to sign an iconic figure like Freddie Freeman, people are gonna hang it over his head. But I think Alex Anthopoulos don't get enough credit for the culture he's built in Atlanta, not just building around one player.
5: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh specific yeah, and I think um you don't come into a place, win the NL East specifically that division with the tough teams it's had over the years. You don't win that division four straight years, uh, go to the league championship series, and then the next year win the World Series if you're not building something sustainable, if you don't have a great culture. And I think culture is always tough to quantify, but when you lose Ronald Lacuna Jr. last year um, and you make a flurry of moves at the deadline to keep yourselves in it, Uh, and then you make moves like, you know, signing Charlie Morton and then um, letting people know that he, you know, the team know that he and and others are going to be part of kind of the future here a little bit. All of that's done to kind of keep together the clubhouse and to sustain a culture. And the Braves do extensive work um, before signing guys or trading for guys on guys' makeup uh, and character because they want to continue that um, and they don't want any toxic characters in the clubhouse. And I do think – I think he deserves a massive amount of credit because, look, I think when you, when you lose a guy like Freddie Freeman, you simply not only lose him, but you move on from him before he even signs somewhere else. Uh, that is a move that has the potential to completely dismantle a clubhouse uh, emotionally, and yet they didn't do that. And I think that goes to show the trust the players have in Alex. Um, and then, look, you know, signing him – Olsen to a long-term extension telling you know players basically that he was going to be part of the future there uh they've done a really good job with that um and he's done a really good job within his budget constraints um and trying to build the the best team possible I think there are a lot of GMs who would have given up last year last summer when the team was under 500 and look he really didn't he kind of you know, smelled opportunity for them to contend and pounced on it, and I do think he deserves a lot of credit because when you look at uh, the Braves aren't a small market team, but they're not Los Angeles and they're not New York. And when you look at what Alex has done to build a sustainable winner, I think it's very impressive. Uh, Justin, uh,
0: you mentioned uh, the signings that Alex has been able to pull off. Kinley Jansen, that was one that literally kind of popped up in the middle of the night and all of a sudden it's like, Hey, the Braves are in on Kenley Jansen. One, how surprised were you that that moved happened? And two, uh, are are the Braves playing six inning baseball here in 2022?
5: Yeah. Yeah, seriously. No, Um, that one was, I mean, they weren't even in on Kenley J. That that came out of nowhere, I think for everybody around the game. Um, But that was, it's funny because the Freddie Freeman situation and his timing not working with the Braves is kind of what happened with Kenley Jansen. The Dodgers and the Braves um, made good on that, but yeah, you mentioned them kind of shortening the game a little bit, um, giving a reliever 16 million, a new closer. I think they've built a deep bullpen, and Alex has said, uh, you know, if you can, you need that throughout the season because you don't have the off days like you do in the postseason, um, and the off days helped the Braves cover themselves a lot last postseason. Um, but, yeah, now you're looking at, you know, you've got three rotation locks and Max Freed, Charlie Morton, and Ian Anderson, but there's some question marks in the back end of that rotation, especially because they might need to use a six-man rotation at the beginning of the year with 14 straight, you know, games in 14 days. So, so to have a deep bullpen where you're not making guys go seven or eight innings is huge. I mean, not only Kenley Jansen, but Colin McHugh, and then you add that to the stable of guys they had, who really showed their value last season. Um, this is a really deep open. I think, uh, yeah, I think Alex said it best. If you're a team that plans on contending, um, if you plan on winning a lot of games, you're going to be in a lot of close games. And I think this is going to really help them out, not only from that standpoint, but to make them more multiple, to make them able to be able to hold, you know, games if they're down a run or two, uh, to be able to deploy opener here, or there and have multiple options to do that, you know, along that. And I, and I think, um, yeah, it's going to make them really adjustable on the back end and, and going to give Brian Snicker really a wealth of options.
2: Justin, where are the Braves with Ronald Acuna? Where is he in his uh, rehabilitation? Is is there a chance early in the season maybe he uh, plays the DH? When will we see him in the outfield? Do we do we know any of that yet?
5: Yeah, so Alex said on the radio, uh, I, think, God, I think it was last week, on some radio station that he believes um, Ronald Acuna Jr. can play – Dh sort of late April um, but late May seems to be kind of the timeline for when he can play the field and that's that's what I had heard late may return may return uh, before the lockout even you know as the lockout ended um, so yeah it really seems like he might be able to play some DH uh, but we'll have to see how they balance that as it comes because. You don't know, you know, if, he, if he's not going to be playing in the field, you really want him risking the knee, you know, running the bases, swinging, rotating, things like that. Um, and that's really a decision, you know, they're going to have to make. They've got doctor, doctors who are a lot smarter than, uh, than me and you guys. But I think, um, I think it, it could be plausible, and especially if Alex did mention that publicly. I mean, I think that that is always something that I've had in the back of my head that, you know, you would think would be, plausible could be expected um now we'll see if they execute it but i think it's something that you know that could be done especially because the dh uh gives them a lot of opportunity to keep really keep him off his legs especially if they you know have other restrictions and ask him not to be as aggressive now i don't know how that's going to work asking somebody like Ronald lacuna jr not to be as aggressive on the bases uh he certainly plays you know 110 percent. but i think that's a possibility to get him some at bats and kind of put some extra firepower in the lineup uh, for sure before he's able to play, you know, the field full time.
1: Well, 2021 was definitely a setback yeah, for Mike Soroka. What is the timeline for him in 2022?
5: Yeah, well, uh, he didn't – I spoke to him last week and he didn't offer me a specific timeline, but I've heard the timeline for him is uh, post-All-Star break. Now, that, that gets muddled with um, – I know that's not super specific, but we'll have to get closer and see – you know, how long he spends with the affiliates and how long he spends rehabbing when he can actually, you know, get off a mound. I know he's been throwing and straight line running, but he hasn't been doing um, baseball-specific activities yet. And so it should be another month or two before he does that, uh, based on my conversation with him. Um, and so we'll kind of see then. But I know the Braves, uh, even like as they um, entered camp, I know they were kind of targeting. i would heard they were kind of targeting post-All-Star break uh for guys like him and Kirby Yates. Justin Toscano,
0: uh, AJC.com, covers the Atlanta Braves. Justin, obviously, uh, you know, nobody's going to – everybody loves to overreact, uh, I should say, on uh, social media. But uh, I guess tell folks listening about Braves didn't reach a uh, an arbitration deal with uh, Riley, Swanson, Max and pretty much everybody that was arbitration eligible today. Is that a concern? And how long – how much does that play a factor? As uh, MLB kind of said, this stuff's going to get decided – while the season's going on?
5: Yeah, I don't, I personally don't think it's too concerning. I know, like, from a, you know, a standpoint, if you see a tweet, it is, but uh, no, I think there's, it's just to settle their salaries for 2022. Um, and look, I mean, those guys probably feel like they are owed maybe more because of their postseason contributions, whatever. I don't know how they factor all that stuff in, but um, just to settle their 2022 salaries. I, I think the culture around the Braves is, Strong enough that uh, this this really shouldn't um, ruffle any feathers too much. Now, I don't you know I don't know I, we haven't heard from any of those guys specifically yet, but uh, I think this this sort of thing will just get figured out throughout the season. But I think um, I think that it's a lot more routine than people think if they're reading some news about that.
0: Justin Tiscano, uh, finally, Justin. Who are some of the battles to watch? I know on a team that won the World Series and expect to contend may not be. Uh, a lot of them, but who are some guys to uh, to watch for the next uh, what two weeks here for spring training?
5: Yeah, well, the most important ones, actually, the uh, back two spots, or I guess it could be three to begin the season of the rotation. You've got guys like Kyle Muller, Kyle Wright, um Oscarcar uh Tuki Tucson, um, guys like that kind of fighting for those final spots. Um, and then I think that's gonna be an interesting competition because I really thought the Braves needed to bring in another impact starter. Um, And they thought so, too, and that's what they were trying to do, but they haven't found one yet to their liking on the trade market or in free agency, which is why they did the next best thing in their eyes, which was fortify the bullpen with Kenley Jansen. Um, And so, you know, that's going to be an interesting back end of the rotation, you know, position battle. It's really the only one you have going on unless you want to count, you know, what they do with outfield depth and things like that. But I think that rotation is going to be one to watch, especially because you have Three guys who were pretty much locks on one end of the spectrum. And then a lot of questions on the other. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But um, like we said earlier, it's uh, it's definitely not as bad of an outlook as it would be, you know, if they hadn't fortified the bullpen with uh, Kenley Jansen and Colin McHugh. And, uh, yeah, don't forget about Darren O'Day, uh, who's in camp and, could, you know, could make the team. Um, looks like he might make the team. And so, uh, yeah, that's that back end of the rotation is probably... Really, the thing to watch with those guys.
0: Justin Toscano covers the Braves, ajc.com. Justin, great having you on the show. Welcome to Braves Country. Thanks so much. Yep, yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Justin Toscano joining us here on Three and Out as the Braves rock and rolling there at spring training. We'll come back. Chris Gordy, speaking of uh, rock and rolling, spring practices underway around the SEC. We're talking SEC football with Chris Gordy next here on Three and Out. Good to have you back here 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett, Ben Troop. Glad you're making us a part of your day spring practices all across the SEC. A lot of spring storylines out there. And Joining us here from the Locked On SEC podcast, Chris Gordy steps in here on 3 and Out. Chris, welcome. How are you? Chris, good to have you on the show. Let's start there at Georgia defending national champs. Uh, back at it there in Athens where do you see Georgia is this a reload situation You're expected to lose a lot of guys to the national Football League are they ready to reload or are there going to be some big questions there on especially the defensive side of the ball
6: yeah I mean I think there's there's definitely questions there on the defensive side you, when you lose as many guys as you did but man I you know talking with matt Stinchcomb last week I know he's excited with a lot of the guys you know he was talking with a lot of guys at the pro day saying oh yeah watch out for this guy this guy this guy so yeah, I think they're going to reload. I think the defense, maybe not as good, but they're still going to be good. But, guys, I mean, I, I, call me crazy, but I, I just have some questions about the offense. Rolling with another season of and Bennett, look, we love the story. We love what he did. And winning that national championship game the way they did an amazing fourth quarter, I just thought that was a perfect way for him to walk off into the sunset and say, hey, let's go back to JT Daniels or let's check out one of these four-star, five-star quarterbacks and move forward. I just have big question marks about sticking with Stetson for another year. Can he go you know, undefeated or you know, one lost season? I just have some big question marks about him just because I think, I think he's limited. No, no disrespect to him and you he'll always, you'll always be remembered for what he did for Georgia last year, but man, it could really sour what his legacy was this past year if he has a down year this year.
2: But Chris, can you look at that production from Stetson Bennett last year? And I think he finished in the top five in the country in, in passer rating, you know, up near 30 touchdown passes. I mean, it, has he has he proven that he is a guy that can help Georgia win a national championship as he did, even even if he wasn't a five-star recruiter, maybe he isn't, you know, 6'3", 6'4", etc.? Put it this
6: way, he's, a, he's the safe play, right? I mean, I'm not, again, I'm, I'm trying not to come across as negative. It's not... It's not a bad thing. There are plenty of teams around this conference and around the country that would love to have a Setson Bennett starting for them. So don't get me wrong. I just feel like, man, what we've seen at Alabama, the Bryce Youngs, the Tua's, LSU with Joe Burrow, all these big-time quarterbacks getting it done, 300, 400-yard days, four passing touchdowns, five passing touchdowns. I just think Setson Bennett's never going to be that guy. He'll be the guy who there for 220 and you know two touchdowns, he'll run for one. I mean, it, he's the safe guy. I just thought that Georgia might want to try to jump into the 21st century with a big time arm and a big time passer and, and, and get this offense going. Because, I mean, let's be real, Brock Bowers is great, but like he shouldn't be your leading receiver. Like we, George is bringing in these four-star and five-star receivers that should be having 1,000-yard seasons. Like, let's be real. So I, that's just where I am with it again. I'm not trying to hate on him, and, and I think it's safe. Kirby will be fine, but – you know, if we look back at the end of the year, Georgia's got two, three losses. I won't be saying I told you so, but, man, I just feel like this was their opportunity to turn the page and, and have a, a more up-tempo, it out offense. But they're going to be a little bit more balanced. They're going to run the ball a lot, and Stetson's going to make some great throws because he's accurate. But I just think at the end of the day, it's, it's more safe than trying to take that chance to say, let's go be a blazing offense next year.
1: And hey Chris, I mean, regardless of how Stetson Bennett does this season, as you mentioned, I mean, he's gonna make quality throws to a guy like Brock Bowers, who was a leading receiver last year. But at a certain point, how much does this uh, you know, negatively affect your recruiter in the quarterback room? Because these guys that are watching that want to be Georgia Bulldogs are saying, Well, listen, I want to play there, but it seems to be your best quarterback the last, I don't know, seven years wasn't wasn't even a a one star, two star, wasn't even on you guys' radar. You asked him to come back to campus.
6: Yeah. I mean, the JT Daniels thing was interesting. I mean, I know he's in the portal and I have a buddy in Missouri who keeps telling me he's coming to Mizzou. He's coming to Mizzou. So we'll see what what happens with him. But um, no, I mean, when you talk about the Brock Vandergrifts and, you know, these these big time quarterbacks they've brought in, you know, can you keep recruiting those guys when you stand by a a Stetson Bennett and everybody's kind of looking around the room going, well, when's my turn to start? When do I get a chance? So, Um, Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, Georgia's still recruiting at an incredible clip. I saw yesterday he picked up a four-star DB for the class of 2024 already. I mean, they're they're always going to recruit well well with Kirby. It's just, like I said, you know, there was a few years back where Saban was, you know, had been running with the A.J. McCarrens and uh, the, the, you know, forget the kid's name, the transfer from Florida State. Like, it was kind of just, it was mediocre to to good quarterback play. And then it just jumped forward when you got the Tua's and you got – uh, obviously, uh, you know Bryce Young there now, and Alabama's operating in an elite level where they'll always have a big, you know, five-star number one overall quarterback at the helm. And I just thought this was a chance for Georgia to kind of turn the page because, again, I, I, I hate to live in in the past, but uh, we can say that if, if Alabama's playing with their full arsenal wide receivers in the national championship, it's probably a loss for Georgia. Chris
0: Gordy, locked on SDC podcast. So, is that that being said, does that mean it's? Uh... Nick Saban, Alabama favorite to win the the national championship because they lost it last year. So by by just the way it pans out, he's got to win it this year. Is that how it works?
6: Yeah, I I, <laughs> I, I hate it. I mean, I, I like covering the full SEC, and I always say this. You know, whenever I hate on Alabama, you know, I got thirteen other fan bases that are listening to my podcast that that want to see bad things happen for Alabama. But a few years ago, I tried to be fun and pick different teams and say, oh, I think it's this team's year, and this team, that team's year. I mean, I. I picked Georgia to win the championship last year. I, I thought it was going to be their year, but man, it just feels like you're an idiot. If you're not picking Alabama to win it every year, because it seems like it's the easy go-to. Cause uh, if Saban's not winning, he's at least competing for it, or making the playoff or, you know, in last year's example, literally playing in the title game. So um, yeah, I, I mean, again, Alabama's got a lot of new pieces that they got to figure out, but man, did they kill it in the transfer portal? You bring in Eli Ricks from LSU, who's going to be one of your starting DBs. You bring in, uh, Jameer Gibbs, the running back from Georgia Tech, he's probably going to step right in and start. And then, oh, you go get you know wide receiver from Georgia who comes in and he's going to be a stud too. So, it's I, I hate to say it, but yeah, Alabama's going to be right back in there. But they got to figure out some things on their offensive line because that was the first time down the stretch of last year that Alabama's offensive line had had, had big holes. And then they lose Evan Neal, who was their big their best O lineman. They got to figure that out because look, Bryce Young was running for his life particularly in that national championship game. Now, kudos to him. He was still able to make the throws, get the ball off, and throw an accurate ball. But, man, you don't want Bryce Young running for his life again this year. You need that that protection in front of him.
2: High expectations for Texas A&M once again. I know you said uh, you're done picking against Alabama, but how, how good can Texas A&M be? Are they a playoff contender this fall?
6: It, it, it all comes down to the quarterback, guys. I mean, this has been the story for, for A&M since Johnny Manziel left. They've they've had stud running backs. They've had some good defenses, but ultimately it comes down to that quarterback play. And you know, Jimbo is, is kind of in that Kirby mentality, where it's you know we we'd like a game manager back there. We're going to have a lot of play action. We're going to run the ball a lot and dump it to our tight ends and all that. But man, it, it depends on who who wins that spot for them. Because you look at a And M last year, they finally break through. They beat Alabama, but it was all for naught because they lost to. You know, a couple other teams in the conference, and you, you didn't even compete for the West. So, yeah, this is put up or shut up time, in, in my opinion, for Jimbo. Like, we, we keep talking about him as a top tier coach and one of the best coaches in the SEC and all this, but man, eventually you got to break through and win it. You, you realize, guys, AM's been in the SEC a decade now, and they have not even won the West. Like, that's insanity to me that we keep putting Texas AM as a, you know, preseason number six and preseason top 10. We, we got to stop because if they don't break through and finally win, uh, you know, the, the conference that they play in, I mean, what are we
1: doing? Chris, speaking of, I mean, keeping it in the West, uh, 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 speaking of teams, they got to break through. I mean, Coach Kelly, LSU, I mean, we seem far removed from that 2019 team. What is LSU, how is LSU looking going into this spring, man? And they, they got their own problems to deal with, not named Alabama to Texas AM, but, you know, what are the storylines, you know, down there in Baton Rouge? Yeah, if you're going to LSU
6: spring game, you better have a roster handy because you are going to be looking around at this team, going, "Who the hell is this? Who's this guy?" Because they they hit up the transfer portal. Them and Ole Miss more than anybody in the SEC have brought in guys through the transfer portal, and it's all guys that are going to play this year. Uh, I think the the pressure is kind of off Brian Kelly in year one. I think you know people kind of expect this team was gutted. We saw you know they played with like twenty. 20- scholarship kids in the bowl game against Kansas State. They got obliterated. They they started a wide receiver at quarterback. So, yeah, there are are big problems at LSU, but basically what they're trying to do is set a foundation moving forward. They want to get back to having dominant O-line and D-line play like they used to. Obviously, one of Brian Kelly's hallmarks when he was at Notre Dame was having dominant offensive line play. So, I think they're going to get back to that. They'll be fine this year. They may win, you know, seven, eight games, and it's improvement from where they were last year, but – I don't think LSU is going to compete this year, but you never know. I mean, Miles Brennan is, is their quarterback. They bring in Jaden Daniels from Arizona State. Who somebody said to me, Jaden Daniels ain't coming in there to back up Miles Brennan. He's coming in there to start. I know that the, uh, Mike Denbrock, the new offensive coordinator, has been some parallels to Desmond Ritter with Jaden Daniels, saying that they think he could be, you know, what he was at, at Cincinnati last year with, with Mike Denbrock. So um, that'll be an interesting one to watch. I, I think a lot depends on that opening game. LSU opens with Florida State in New Orleans in the Superdome to start the season. If LSU can win that one, yeah, I think they can go 500 in the SEC and have a nice year. But, man, it would certainly put a bad taste in their mouth if they opened the year with a loss to Florida State in you know the non-conference play. And then you still have a whole SEC slate to play. But, yeah, I think pressure is off Brian Kelly. At least in year one, they'll give him a little time to settle in.
0: Chris Gordy, Locked on SEC Podcast, joining us here on 3 and Out. Chris, a couple programs in the West – Mr., get your, your your thoughts of, I know it's the West and it's tough, but have we kind of seen peak what they're going to be able to do? Uh, Sam Pittman in Arkansas, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Is there more to get out of those programs? Are they kind of topping out at what we can expect them to do as long as Nick Saban is out there, as long as Texas A&M is dropping money like they're dropping?
6: I think Arkansas is a player, but uh, all of it, to me, hinges on K.J. Jefferson. K.J. Jefferson – was a good quarterback in the SEC last year. He made game winning plays for his team. When they needed a fourth quarter drive to go win a game, KJ Jefferson did it. But there were too many games when I look back at the box score after the game was over and I'm like, hey, KJ Jefferson only threw for 130 yards? Like, there were just those games where you looked and went, man, if he'd have done more earlier, maybe they wouldn't have been in this position in the fourth quarter where they needed a drive to go win it. So, I say all that to say K.J. Jefferson two years ago had games where, you know, he got a game, game, I think it was against Missouri. They started, he threw for like 300 yards and was slinging it around the field. I want to see that K.J. Jefferson this year. If he can take that leap forward in his development, you know, he's been in this this kendall Browse system for a couple of years. If he can take that step forward and we're seeing him throw for 250, 275, a handful of touchdowns a week. Remember, they're getting a big wide receiver transferring in from Oklahoma. Like, I think if they can get that offense going, look out, man, because Sam Pittman, he's got the O-line, the D-line play playing well. I think the defense is going to be just fine. So Arkansas could be – everybody's talking about A&M. No, watch out for Arkansas because if K.J. Jefferson improves, they might be the, the dark horse in the West.
0: Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC Podcast, our guest here on 3 and Out. Chris, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. time. Chris Gordy joining us here on 3 and Out. We'll come back. We'll hear from Dave Archer, Matt Ryan out in Atlanta. Where do the Falcons go from here? He joins us next here on 3 and Out.